Welcome to another episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. In this episode, we are joined by two Netflix engineers, Chevron and Michael, to talk with us about ecosystem engineering at Netflix. Chevron and Michael, can you give us a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? My name is Michael James. I've been at Netflix for nine years. This is actually my third team at Netflix. The current team I'm on is called Device Reliability. And so what we're tasked to do is any TV or set-top box like a Roku or cable box that you might have in your house, if something should go wrong on it, like you, you can't log in or it's crashing or there's lots of playback errors or there's a lot of startup errors, anything like that. QoE is bad. You get lots of rebuffering. It's our team's job to detect that remotely, figure out what broke, who broke it, and get them to fix it. So half the time it's Netflix breaking stuff because Netflix is changing all the time in the cloud and pushing new things and the UI is changing. They're doing experiments. And the other half of the time it's either the internet or it's the uh, what we call partners, the Rokus, the Samsungs, the Comcasts of the world. They've made some change and we have to go and ask them what they changed and hopefully get them to fix it. So that's what that's what we do and I do in a nutshell. Awesome. And then what's your favorite happy hour beverage? Uh, right now I am drinking uh, Don Julio Anejo um, tequila. So good choice. That is a very good choice. <laughs> I had to choose something very good to put me into the mood to be in a talking sort of frame. Yeah. It should help. We have found that that actually helps just loosen you just enough to, <laughs> to have a really good conversation. So far it's working. <laughs> Siobhan, how about you? So my name is Shravan Herur. Um, I've been at Netflix for about four years now. Right now, this is my second team. I'm on partner infrastructure. And what our team does is we have a, a box called the Ray or the Reference Automation Environment. And this provides a lot of services and an entry point for all partners to run their Netflix test suites on. So all the partners that need certification to have Netflix on their boxes, whether it be MVPD boxes, CE devices, they use the Ray to actually make sure their tests get run, they get results back. Uh, there are a lot of services that do, you know, DNS mocking, that, that talk MQTT and do all sorts of cool stuff. Um, we also provide a lot of services internally to um, teams across uh, partner ecosystem. And yeah, so prior to that, I was at Partner Engineering, so I used to work with partners directly. Awesome. I love that you both have been on two different teams, too. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Jem, you and I have been on the same team the entire time we've been at Netflix. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we're on a good team, or we don't know how to leave. Yeah, that might be it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, let's give introductions of today's panelists. Jim Young, Senior Software Engineer at Netflix. I've only been here for uh, four years, so maybe, Michael, you can give me some tips on making another four. Oh, yeah. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a Software Engineering Manager at Netflix, and I've been here for just over five years. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Quality. QOE. <laughs> Not oh. QOE. <laughs> I thought it was QOE. <laughs> I don't remember us saying quality. 
I think I heard quality and thought QoE automatically. Cause, hey, they kind of go yeah. hand in hand. So that makes a yeah. lot of sense. All right. Well, let's jump in. Both Sharon and Michael, you gave a little bit of descriptions early in your intros, but I, I'm really curious, how do you describe what is ecosystem engineering at Netflix? So I've, in my previous role, I was a manager also, and managers at Netflix have to do a lot of recruiting. And I'd have to answer this question a lot, like, what do you do? And what is this? And um, I usually approach it by saying, do you ever go into a store, Costco someplace, and you see the TVs for sale, and on the box, they have Netflix on them. Netflix is already pre-installed on it. Or if you go buy a Roku, it's already got a Netflix on there. Or if you get a Comcast box, you may or may not get it. But then if it does get loaded, somehow Netflix is getting on all these devices. How does that happen? What happens is there's a team at Netflix that makes the Netflix player code. And we package it up once a year and we call it the SDK, a software developer, developer's kit for the player. And we might give it a name, but every year we give it out to these partners and these partners are like Samsung, LG, Roku, Comcast of the world. And they have to take it and make it work on their system. And so if you look at all the TVs out there and all the set-top boxes, you can see that, you know, there are different chipsets, there's different hardware. They probably have different compilers and compiler settings. They've got maybe their own libraries that they have to do. They have a different OS on their TV. Every device out there basically is a custom made device. And so how do you get this Netflix player, which looks pretty much the same once you start the app, whether it's on a Roku or a Samsung smart TV or a cable set top box, how has it ended up that the experience is pretty much uh, universal, I would say. And how that happens is there are other teams that work with these partners to make sure that A, it compiles and B, that it's good and that it doesn't crash. Uh, we have a suite of tests and Shravan helps with that, that area of the part. And my previous manager job was in that area too. We don't let Netflix go out or be sold or pre-installed on a device unless we know that device is going to have good quality with it. Oh, I said it. Cheers. 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 And how that happens is these uh, partners have to run a whole bunch of tests and they have to pass these tests. And there's a, a um, cloud-based test service that Netflix has made where they can take their device, whether they're working in China or whether they're working in Japan or Korea or the US or anywhere in the world, they plug it into the internet, they log into this cloud service and they can run tests and we can see these tests see if they pass, see if they fail, and so on and so forth. And once they pass all these tests, then it goes out into the field and people can buy them or people have them in their homes or they sign up for cable service and they get this box and they start Netflix. And if it's working great, we can see the metrics remotely from here because all these boxes and TVs are sending us logs all the time. And if there's a problem, we should be able to detect that and try to get it fixed. So long story short, Netflix works with a whole bunch of other companies to get these apps working. And once it's out there, our job's not done. We have to make sure that it keeps working. And so that's where maybe I think you had alluded to like QoE, which maybe you could explain what the QoE metric is that your, your team's looking at. Sure. So 
QOE is quality of experience. Cheers. 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 I kind of set you up for that one. <laughs> they are metrics that deal with how the app appears to the user. So this would be things like, is the video smooth? Does it look like high bit rate? So it looks like very high quality, not just SD, but also HD or 4K. Is it rebuffering a lot? Which hopefully it's not. The rebuffer is when you're watching in the middle of playback and there's this kind of spinner that appears on the screen where it's trying to load and it'll say 10%, 20%, 75%, 99% and starts playing again. It's probably because there's some interference on the network or there's a bug in the buffering on the device. We want to keep all that buffering to a minimum so that when you start watching, it's smooth. There's no interruptions, but it's not just limited to that. If you have a trouble starting the app or if you're in the middle of the app and it crashes or there's like network fluctuations where it goes high quality to low quality too much, um, those are all things that could be addressed usually on the device side and try to minimize those as much as possible, wherever possible. Even things outside of the network, the user's network or the um, service provider's network. Play delay? Yeah, that's another one. I forgot about that one. The time it takes for you to press the button versus how long it takes to start the actual playback. Hopefully it's around four or five seconds, but on some devices we see it's as long as 20 seconds or 30 seconds. That's something that could be fixed on a device, hopefully. I think that's always been something that I've actually been amazed at is just, Michael, you painted the picture of the ecosystem of all the different TV devices. But when I think about it too, is the Netflix app is being built for something like a Roku stick. It's a lower powered device. And and then you have something like the, the PlayStation 4 or the Xbox that you can also play on. It, it has a lot bigger processor. And I think it's just really interesting how you have, there's this large ecosystem of devices that we are supporting. And so I can imagine that becomes a lot more challenging in your world to to support all those different variables across those devices. Oh yeah, and especially when you think that every one of those devices is basically a custom-made device. Very few devices look or act exactly the same from the code perspective. And so it's it's a challenge to make sure that when you start Netflix, whether on a $15 stick, if you bought it on sale, all the way up to a $400 PlayStation, or even a $3,000 4K mega smart TV, that the Netflix experience is pretty universal on all of them. You still log in the same. You still have your same catalog. You still are able to see and navigate through the UI pretty much the same. It's pretty familiar uh, despite that range. And I think that's pretty amazing. But Ryan, I think I do want to point out that the game consoles do not come under EEG. Good point. So meaning EEG would be the ecosystem engineering. Engineering group. Yeah. Group. Yeah. They do share a lot of the same player code. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they do share the same underlying um, JavaScript code and the UI code. So a lot of that is the same. The main difference is it's not made by a partner. There's a dedicated Netflix team that makes the player for PlayStation and same for Xbox. And so if there's a problem... We can go run to those teams, which is like one floor above us and say, did you know that there's a bug and they can fix it? If there's a problem with Samsung, we have to go, we usually have a engineer on site, a Netflix employee who specializes with Samsung or works a lot with a certain partner. 
And Shravan, when, when you were on that team, what was your partner? So I used to work with Cisco. I worked with Easy. So if there was a problem in a certain partner's device, our first mm-hmm. step would be to go and see if that partner engineer, we call them, the Netflix employee, yeah. has any insight. If they don't, then we have to escalate to the partner themselves. So we have to either send an email or a conference call or do something. Maybe there's someone we know in country. Netflix now have offices in Taiwan and Korea. And so maybe they can take it over from us. I think there there is a certain kind of a chain of command there. Yeah. Like most part, like people inside EEG typically go to the partner engineer and say, you know, like Michael might say, hey, I'm seeing when I used to be a partner engineer, he would be like, hey, I see, you know, big play delays on the easy box, right? You know, it seems like they pushed a new firmware on certain date and the play delay which is the time taken for the title to actually start playing from the time when the user presses it, it's gone like 20% more, 25% more. But then the partner engineer would actually reach back to the partner. Or in certain cases, we have, or at least in partner engineering, there are tiers. So there's a partner engineer who works at the operator level. There's a partner engineer who works at the SOC level. So the SOC is is system on a chip or silicon on a chip, right? So people like Broadcom and... AM logic and you know high silicon things like that. So we have certain implementations based on these SOCs, and certain partner engineer partner engineers would actually work exclusively with those SOC companies. So then you know we we consider those as sort of scaling projects because they're serving more than one operator, and so you know it would be escalated to them, and they would talk to the partner. So it it kind of varies on on the problem and the situation. That was one bit of a surprise when I joined this group is a lot of people, when they hear Netflix, they think if I'm going to be an engineer at Netflix, I'm doing stuff in the cloud or I'm doing stuff on the UI. Maybe I'm doing stuff on the player, but they don't realize there's a big team here that is device firmware specific, that they're actually working with system on chips and they're trying to get Netflix to work at the hardware level amongst the whole ecosystem, for lack of a better word, of device chipsets and everything out there. And so a lot of people are kind of surprised that like, oh, I did not know that you work with device drivers and C++ code and things like that. Yeah. And we're like, yeah, there's a team and that's what we help work with. Is that maybe because a lot of other companies typically don't do that? Is that typically the case? I think so. I think like, for example, if you take Amazon, Prime Video is more, if I forget, it's completely JavaScript based. So they have a very thin C++ layer, or they would just use Chrome-based players, right? Something that they can actually port as a web browser into into the device, and they just build on, on the JavaScript layer. And I think we're kind of one of the pioneers on a lot of C++ and a lot of testing and verification on that, that side. I, I think we've talked about this probably on a previous episode, but it's helpful to do a quick rundown of the stack it takes to play on a, a device because i know we have an rdp which someone should explain and then we have different layers that like it's not as easy as because there are, there's all these different devices with all these different chips and all these different operating systems how is it that we get a consistent experience and how we can write javascript against all these devices so an rdp is netflix ready device Partner program platform. Like I forget what the p- platform. <laughs> so NRDP is basically a bunch of C plus plus code 
and what it has inside of it is a JavaScript engine. And so it also has something that we call a DPI, which is a device porting interface. So it's basically a set of um, classes that people can implement for their particular platform. And these DPIs are what enable everything on top of, residing on top of the DPI to actually work on different platforms, right? Because all of it, all it has to do is talk to the DPI to figure out, hey, I want to open a player. I want to play this audio. I want to play this video. I want to pause. I want to know what the device capabilities are. Uh, I want to know if it's a set-top box, what is it connected to, what kind of capabilities does that TV have, etc. So an example DPI is like get memory buffer. Another one might be get DRM license. DRM is digital rights management. Management. Yep. All right. And so you need all, all of the Netflix streams are encrypted and you need a license to decrypt it. Well, uh, that is left up to each partner. They can choose whatever DRM that they want and they make it work inside the NRDP stubcode and the Netflix part of the code only has to worry about things like when the user presses a button, I need to go get some metadata about a title and then save it somewhere and then pass it on to other layers. What are these other layers? Shravan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, going from the bottom closest to the device back up on top, right? So now we have the DPI, which is just working with the system level stuff. On top of the DPI, NRDP has certain libraries, certain classes that, you know, sort of expose callbacks into JavaScript. And so any JavaScript code that gets written gets actually downloaded at boot time. So when the Netflix app launches, it actually goes to one of our servers that we call App Boot. And the response to that will actually include a UI to download the UI from, uh, include a URL to download the UI from. And so all the UI gets downloaded, evaluated, and run when Netflix starts. And that's why I think startup times are pretty are a little bit slower for our app because it has to do all that stuff to actually get Netflix running. So it's basically doing that from a cold start, meaning it's like the app has not been running. And so each time that it's being launched, that is exactly yep. what's happening. That's yep. really, really cool. The NRDP code is also headless. There is no UI. The UI is dynamic and it's delivered to the app over the internet or through the cloud when you start the app. And so that allows, no matter what device you're on, to be delivered a, a UI that can be updatable from Netflix whenever they want. Or can it be customized for that? device like yes. different tiers of yep. yes it, it is even customized per user because you know netflix is famous for doing a b testing so you could log in and if you're selected to an a b test you can get a custom version of that ui and then i log in and i don't get that and then maybe we'll be compared against each other and then if you get this new feature and you end up watching a lot and you don't quit, then that new feature may be um, productized to everybody else. That's what we use, the, link, the lingo at Netflix, productized. <laughs> I find the whole space just fascinating. Like for me as a consumer on this end, I go to a hotel or I get on my phone or I travel overseas and Netflix is a consistent experience, generally speaking, no matter what what app or what device I'm using. 
but behind that, your your team's job is to make sure that that's my feeling. Kind of like a, a franchise. You know, if I go into a McDonald's or Subway anywhere in the world, I know what I'm going to get, generally speaking. Yeah. So it's the same thing. That I think no, I think your team is underappreciated. Like that that's such a difficult challenge. And like to do A B testing on top of that and ensuring like QOE is solid across the board, that's that's a really challenging area you guys are in. But yeah. can I ask, do you do you consider yourselves hardware engineers or are you software engineers? It seems like you kind of toe the line between both. Shravan is both. I would say. <laughs> well, I would still put myself as software. Okay. I would put hardware as people actually make and design. That, that's true. Like you're not laying out a board right. or designing yeah. a chip. That's true. You're building on top of that. Like you yeah. are building software that interacts with that hardware. But part, part, we do, um, you know, push partners towards certain hardwares. So if a partner does come to us and say, hey, I'm evaluating a and B, and you know, one is 4K capable, but it's twice the cost versus, you know, all these choices, we kind of help them navigate. And we're like, you know, if you want the best Netflix experience, do choose this, but we understand your constraints and, you know, so we're definitely hardware aware, but we're not hardware engineers. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's even cool, too, is that you're able to help influence what the direction is and say, like, mm -hmm. here's some of those trade-offs versus just, like, the company saying, here's the device. That's what it is. It's like, hey, we're looking at these two chipsets. What's the best one? And even if it was a cost thing, they would say, okay, we've chose to go th with this route, knowing that that's a trade-off. That's that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Jem, I think you had mentioned some of the challenges that the team would definitely have to deal with. And I think some of the things have already even come up, which is really great. I'm curious to hear from both of you, like what are some of the biggest challenges that you come to mind that your team faces on a daily basis or even future that you're, you're kind of a direction headed towards? Because the ecosystem is so widespread and so unique in some cases, there are times where Netflix will push a change say it'll push a new version of the UI and one device out there, maybe this device has half a million people on it, that device won't like it. And so we'll start getting metrics changes or people calling in to customer service saying something is wrong or maybe they can't log in anymore. We have to be able to know that that's happening and then go back to these teams and say that change that you pushed, it worked. For 99% of everybody, but there's this 1% who didn't, the device didn't like it. Can you please change it? And sometimes the teams are like, no, 99% is still good, right? I'm like, no, there's 500,000 people who can't watch Netflix right now. We've got to fix it. Uh, the good news is Netflix employees are really great. And there's a lot of tools available where you could roll back. So if there's a push made, you can roll back pretty easily. You can even, they've even uh, updated the tools where you can roll back just on a specific device model. Well, everyone else has the latest greatest. This one device that didn't like it can go in the version one back so that they can work again while we figure out what the problem is. So that's, that's kind of my team's bread and butter. Um, we kind of are living in that space, watching out for these corner cases that most people are okay with, but one device for whatever reason is not. And it's, it, it happens, it happens semi-regularly that this will happen. Um, and so 
it's, it's both uh, a little bit annoying plus a little bit exciting that, oh, we found something and it's a mystery. We have to go figure it out. That's really cool, though, because I think about it even from Jem and I are both working on the consumer facing UI and innovation. We're, we're doing those A-B tests. And I think about it as a, it's really nice in that world, too, is that, yeah, we don't want to break the experience for one percent. Like that is actually a ton of people that are really affected. And so we can't be comfortable with that. But I also like that you can roll back that small percentage so that we're not hurting that user experience, but we're still enabled to continue innovating and working on building out what does that feature really look like and we're able to A-B test it. And then in the meantime, still be thinking about, okay, well, how do we support this? Like once we've kind of found something that really works for the majority of users, how do we start to roll that on to this particular device or small percentage that were affected and so now we have to rethink that all together but you also have are still able to to learn and innovate ahead of things as well i think that's really really cool yeah and this whole rollback idea this mechanisms in place to be able to even do rollbacks in the first place when i first joined netflix nine years ago that was already there and i found that that was amazing because if you think even five years ago, there are a lot of companies and tools or um, apps even where you can't roll back as easily. And usually the solution is you have to uninstall and reinstall an old version or do something like that. Um, and here at Netflix, all the user has to do sometimes is just stop the app and start it again. Or, you know, turn the TV off and turn it back on. And usually they'll get the restored version of the UI or the rolled back version if they need to. That's really amazing. I don't know if it was a happy accident. They were always planning for this strategy wise, but like nine years ago, that thing was already there. And I came from a company where that was not easily done, that once you shipped hardware and there was a mistake in it, then you had to like ship them some type of update and it was some patch installation procedure and it was painful. Uh, but at Netflix, they're like, no, 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 we're, we're in the cloud. We're just, you know, move this pointer or roll it back and press a button and we're done. And that's amazing. And they're still doing work today to make that rollback process easier. Makes my life easier too. It makes our lives easier too as well. Like when you <laughs> yeah. ship something that's not good, you're not panicking, taking hours of time to roll something back. It happens fairly quickly, which is great. Any, any other challenges that the two of you would like to highlight? I think for our team, uh, there's a couple of new challenges. So our team actually comes into play. So if you think of getting Netflix on a device, I, I, I kind of think of it as three phases. The first one is integration, where it's still early work. And you're working with the partners, trying to you know get things rolling. There's a lot of bugs, a lot of errors. You're trying to fix them. And then the second phase is the pre-cert and certification. So you're actively in certification. You're running the... The Netflix tests, you're, you're trying to get the quality bar as high as possible. Cheers. 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 And the, the last stage is after certification and in-field. So you've actually finished certification, you've certified, you're launched, people are using it in the field. So uh, the team that I'm on that builds the hardware, the Ray, the reference automation environment, actually is very important over the first two phases. We do kind of use it sporadically for the third phase where we have golden devices set up, which actually run tests using the Ray. Um, so right now we're working with a lot of sister teams across the org and we're trying to make that integration phase much 
much better, much more reliable. So when partners come into certification, they're already, uh, you know, fixed most of the issues. They spend less time in certification, so they take less of our certification engineer's time. And so we're working on a lot of features for that, a lot of services, a lot of infrastructure, um, getting operational insights on, you know, how to make the ray better, how to recover from failure. So there's there's tons of challenges around that. That ray box that your team makes, that is amazing. So when I first joined Netflix, it was a mystery to me how these partner companies are able to test Netflix when they're in Korea and they're not in California. And because when you run a Netflix test, it's not just a matter of playing a movie. You have to like run code on top of it to make sure that the play actually works, that it did play for 50 seconds like you wanted it to, that it reported an error if there was an error, that the logs are sent correctly, and all these other things. If you have an automated test, you have to do even more. And a lot of those sometimes require that there's this code running on this device that's sitting in an office in Korea, and maybe this office is behind a firewall. How does, A, how do we launch the test to make it behind a firewall and b how does it report back so that we know that it passed or failed Uh, how do we get logs if we need to get logs because they're all cut off from each other and c we only want certain tests and certain code and users to be able to go into the netflix cloud to run tests right we don't want anybody off the street be able to maybe hack it and get free Netflix, you know, running, you know, I'm going to play this hour, I'm going to play this two hour test, which really they're, you know, fake watching a movie. And so the answer is you take this Ray box, you plug your TV into that box, and that sets up all this security. And you, I think you have to log in with a username and password. Is that correct, Shravan? So when we ship a Ray box to a partner, right, they have to activate Oh, so, okay. you know, there's a, there's a URL, they go in, they can log in, and then a whole bunch of certificates get downloaded, and that allows access to different services. Um, you know, there's a DNS routing that ter- takes place so that all the, you know, code that runs on the device can actually talk to different services on our backend. There's a lot of magic. And that device was custom-made right? Yep. By Netflix mm-hmm. for Netflix. So there's a little team of, actually, there are a couple of hardware engineers on that team. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, after I answered, I think Todor on our team is, is pretty much, I mean, he's a wizard. He's a, he's a hardware wizard. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Netflix usually does not make hardware. Like we don't make the TVs or the set-top boxes or anything like that. We don't make the, app, we don't make the iPhones that the app runs on. We do make the mm-hmm. app. But there is a little small team that does make this hardware for this testing purposes. Which is pretty impressive too. Like I think about, I mean, even actually at previous companies or jobs that I've done is anytime that you have to say, even just integrating with another API, usually public APIs are fairly easy to to work with, but there has been times where I've had to work with a another company. So that would be like a partner and that you're working on a code base together where there has to be some handoff that happens and just how much work it takes to just have the handshake work properly between those two companies 
takes so much back and forth, a lot of meetings, and then there's a lot of back and forth on testing to make sure it actually works and then it doesn't. And and I think about all that and just the volume of partners that you guys are dealing with and just creating a way to make that seamless is is super impressive. Yep. And that's Shravan's team. They just say, give them this, ship them this box. They agree to use the box. They log into the box and... Yeah, they can stick devices behind the box. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of our sister teams also makes this cool hardware called the iPatch. Um, some of you might have seen it. What this does is it basically try, automates um, capturing defects in playback, like drop frames, glitches, macro blocks. Right, macro blocks are basically when your you know frame is not decoded correctly, and some parts of it are still you know pixelated. It, it automates all of this, it detects all of this, and the iPatch uses the RAID to communicate and you know send back results and responses when the tests run. So, so it's not just a router hub yeah. permission thing. It, it, it's, a, it's a testing hub for other peripherals too and for device automation. I think there's plans to put a power, a power supply switch on there, right? So if you plug your TV into this power box, yeah, plug that into it. the ray you can automatically turn off the power to the tv and turn it back on from a test case we've enabled um, remote viewing so members of our team can actually say let's there's a partner in sweden or london or amsterdam where we have one of our offices so they have run custom cables to mimic these partner networks set up these rays and actually um, to to sort of capture HDMI from the partner boxes, relay it back here, so we so we can actually certify these boxes. Um, you know things like how do how does payments work on those partners? So people in Los Gatos can verify all of this that's happening in partner networks in Amsterdam. Which I got to say that has helped our team out extensively. We deal with sign up, so we're dealing with the payments and that becomes a problem too. Like that just makes me think about that is like, how do we test that? And how does our teams write automation against that? You've really enabled us that way, which is Mm -hmm. super helpful. Yeah. You both have mentioned at various times, I'm going to try and avoid our keyword here, but uh, the QOE (laughs) metrics of, uh, you know, what's the best way, like how you've mentioned a little bit, but how are some ways that you monitor that? Like, what are there? Are you all looking at dashboards? Are there alerts that are happening to your team? Like, how do you monitor that these devices in the wild are performing the way they should be? Yeah, the answer is yes, 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 all of the above, yes. So it so, takes a, it takes a few things. It's not just a one little switch that happens and and you're monitoring. Yes. So a the Netflix app has been engineered to share with us this data and gather these metrics. So before we go into picks, I wanted to ask both of you, since you've both been at multiple teams at Netflix, what makes you most excited about this particular team that you're working on, on the ecosystem engineering team? I think this was more personally motivated. When I made the switch, I think I wanted to try out a new domain. I had been a C++ engineer for a while. I like partner engineering. It was fun, but then I wanted to get back into full-time development, and I wanted to do back-end, I wanted to do full-stack. And so my role right now gives me a lot of opportunity to grow in those areas. So I think it's more my personal development that's exciting for me right now. 
Um, but I think, as I mentioned, we're, we're, we're doing a lot of stuff that was going to enable better integration with partners, better testing of, of Netflix. So it's a happy coincidence that, you know, I'm getting to grow and the team is doing amazing work. S similar with me, uh, my previous job was a manager of a test automation team. And so I was doing the manager stuff, the recruiting and all of that. I was doing that for about five years and I wanted a change after those five years. Um, at Netflix for me, it time feels like double. So those five years actually felt like 10 years for me. Uh, I don't know if that's common at Netflix, but um, I, in wanting that change, I was always curious what these data engineers do and how they do it. And now in this new team, I do get a taste of that. I'm doing SQL queries, I'm making Tableau dashboards, um, there's Python scripts to manipulate data, and that's fascinating. And I had always, it was always a mystery, and I was always um, very curious about it. And now I get to do that on a full-time everyday job, and that's really great. All the um, old context that I had gathered from my old job, which was doing the test automation for this certification thing that was mentioned earlier, working with all these previous iterations of Netflix partner devices. So I had seen five, six years of TVs and set-top boxes and cable boxes going through the team, and we were writing tests and making sure the automation worked for all of them. All of uh, the knowledge and context of how that works, how this streaming works on these older devices, I was able to keep and directly use on my new team. So when I joined my new team, they were all pretty recent hires, two or three years at Netflix max. And so they were familiar with the devices that came out during their tenure, like devices that were two years old, but anything beyond that was a mystery to them. So I was able to bring that to the team and still use all this old context that I had. So at the end of each episode, we like to share things that we've found interesting. We've, we make picks of things that we wanna share with our listeners. Let's go around this virtual table since we are still in quarantine. And what uh, do you have to share with our listeners? Uh, yeah, I, I have two picks today. The first one is one of my favorite television shows, Great British Baking Show. Fantastic show. It's about baking in British. I've talked about it. Everybody's talked about it. I didn't know there's a Canadian version. So I've been watching with my wife, The Great Canadian Baking Show. And it's like the Great British Baking Show, but it's Canadian. So it's just as lovely. People are just friendly. Did you say Wrong. Canadian bacon? Canadian <laughs> baking show. <laughs> they haven't used uh, Canadian bacon yet, but we're only on season two. Season three is coming out soon. It's pretty great. It's available on Netflix Canada. It's not available on Netflix US, but it's available outside of the US. Uh, but you can probably stream it somewhere else. But it's really delightful. I'm just glad there's another season. It's really helping me, helping us get through this uh, pandemic quarantine. Just a nice baking show. My second pick for the segment called Valley Silicon, where I pick something that only exists because people have too much money. I'll ask you, both of you, and I'll exclude Ryan. No, no, I'll throw in Ryan this one. Ha Did you guys grow up with a treehouse by chance? No. Nope. I built my own half-ass one. I don't think you can call it a treehouse. It literally was like probably five pieces of wood stuck together. I feel like that was my experience with the treehouse too. It was like looking back, it was questionable. For those that don't know, a treehouse is essentially like a children's playhouse built in or around a tree. I don't think I've actually seen that many of them. 
But it's like, I don't know, it's part of like American mythology that like kids have tree houses. But anyways, the point is they're pretty cheap. They're pretty haphazardly put together. But for my pick for Valley Silicon, it's a uh, tree house. And I just sent a link to you guys. It's a $50,000 tree house. What? And at, at that point, I think once you move into the, uh, I'll say four figures, not even five figures, four figures on a tree house, you're talking about like a real house or a car or, you know, someplace you can genuinely live, not a children's play thing. But for $50,000, this company in a, can't tell where they are, but they will build you this uh, themed tree house. It is, let me just read the description. It is a, it is designed for a Texas ranch with a design themed around African airlines crashing at the ranch, carrying exotic animals, which are now on the loose. So somewhere there's some kid that just won the the parental lottery that he got born to rich, rich parents or just, just living, living their best life right now for this $50,000 tree house. And that's my Valley Silicon pick for this week. Where are you putting this thing too? This thing is huge and an eyesore. <laughs> it's, it's, Pretty ugly. I, I don't know where you'd get it. It also throws. It says for fifty thousand dollars, shipping is not included. So you know you also have to ship this thing to you. Uh, and shout out to our listeners. They have been sharing our Valley Silicon picks with me. Just random expensive items they run across on the internet. They're like, I got to share this with Jim, and I make it my pick. So I appreciate that. Right on, Michael. What about your picks? Okay, I like sometimes watching weird shows on Netflix, and there was this one. Because I like things from and about Japan. And there's this one short episodic series called Giri Haji. Oh, I love that. Oh, oh man. That, that was my pick last that week. That was amazing. Was it? Oh. Yes. Go, go ahead, though. Go ahead. Giri Haji is a joint British-Japanese production. It's a kind of mur- murder thriller, police actioner. It uh, has a lot of familiar actors. Uh, but it is great if you have a chance to watch it. It's just eight episodes, one season. Um, but I watched that and it was great. I had well, I had traveled to Japan last year for the first time ever, and seeing that show just like made me want to go back. And I recommend that a lot. So, but you already recommended it last week. So here's a here's a plus one to that. All three of you are saying how great it is. So I think more people need to watch it. It did not get enough uh, credit for oh. like such a brilliant show and. The yep. cinematography is great. The storyline is great. Just everything about it is great. The music, and, and like it just kind of flew under the radar. So it's good to hear more people ha- have also seen it. So it's spelled G I R I, Giri, H A J I Haji. So and wasn't it amazing how sort of diverse the characters were? Yeah, right. Like I mean, effortless. It it wasn't forced or it was it was it was a really good show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. And my second pick is, so I'm showing my Netflix age. When I first joined Netflix back then, everyone was given a free Netflix DVD account. <laughs> and so you could get nine discs out at a time through the mail DVD rental. And then two years later, three years later, they said, it's not free anymore. You have to pay for it. And so a lot of people quit, but I kept it. And, you know, I've kept it all these years and I have one disc out at a time and I still use it and I still like it a lot. It almost it has almost every movie that you can think of because Netflix, you know, doesn't have everything. HBO will come and get stuff. Showtime will come and get stuff. Um, And so there's exclusive titles all around and you can't get 100 percent of anything on any single service. But you can get almost anything you want on this Netflix DVD. 
So if you are missing a certain title that you can't, that you missed in the movie theater and you can't find anywhere online, or maybe even something old that maybe you want to watch again, chances are Netflix DVD has it. And it's, it's cheap. It's still like $8 a month for one disc at a time. You go online and you put discs in a online queue and they send it to you in the mail. And then you send it back in a posted paid envelope and then they send you the next one. So I have it down so I can get like two a week. So I usually watch it on Tuesday, put it in the mail Wednesday, get the next one on Saturday, watch it and put it in the mail and then the next one comes. I recommend that if you're a movie buff or, you know, just general fan of anything on the screen. Awesome. Siobhan, what do you have? I think my pick for right now, just because I'm watching it, is The Last Kingdom season four. Really good show. Um, Uhtred of Bebenberg, great character. Um, you know, I hope it gets renewed for season five. It's amazing. Second pick is a podcast called Tiger Belly. Uh, it's by a comedian called Bobby Lee. And it's, it's just so funny. I mean, it always puts a smile on my face. It's hilarious. Yeah, he's pretty funny. I haven't heard the podcast, but uh, I think I can imagine it'd be pretty good. Yeah. Awesome. And I have two picks for today. I've been using a monitor lately a lot more than I ever have. Usually at work, I don't use a monitor, but being stuck at home. So I've been using the old uh, Apple Thunderbolt display. So it's not my pick. I do like the monitor. It's got the built-in webcam, which is really helpful. But I moved it to try and change my scene the other day. And smash the glass so that sucked and you know it's it's not hard it's not easy to get things while we're all in quarantine but i was able to i found out like replacing the glass on these monitors is very easy 60 dollars on amazon i got a replacement glass and it is just magnetic holding this glass together so really easy to replace i feel so much better i don't see any cracks in my eyes it's great and then on the theme of fixing things I have found one of the most handy things I've had in the last while is Gorilla Super Glue Gel. I've been using it a lot on my kid's toys. He keeps breaking like little things and then he's like, daddy, fix it. And this glue, you can just put it on, give it like five, 10 minutes and it seems to fix a lot of the things that he's handing me. So I've been finding that very, very useful. All right, before we end the episode, I also want to thank uh, both of you for joining us. Thank you both for giving us some great insights into Ecosystem Engineering Group. And before we go, where can people get in touch with you? I don't have a Twitter. That's okay. Twitter, LinkedIn, email, what you know, <laughs> phone number, your address. <laughs> Social security. Yeah. Oh. For me, um, probably the best is LinkedIn. Um, if you search Michael James Netflix, you'll probably hit me. I don't think there's another Michael James Netflix. So that's the best way. Shravan. Thanks. Thanks for having us, Ryan. So you can look me up on Twitter at Shravan Herur. So it's S-H-R-A-V-A-N-H-E-R-O-O-R. Or search it on LinkedIn. I'm not always on LinkedIn, but sure. Right on. Well, and thank you all for listening to today's episode. You can find Front End Happy Hour on Twitter at FrontEndHH. You can find us at FrontEndHappyHour.com. And you can listen to us on pretty much whatever you like to listen to podcasts on. So make sure to subscribe. Any last words? Hopefully this uh, all ends soon. I didn't realize that I take things like going to the office for granted, but I actually do. But if not, um, I'm still happy that I get to spend more time at home. Good positive message.